0: Time to celebrate having as many goals from open play as red cards here on the Owls Americas. Sheffield Wednesday opinion with an American accent. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. I have been left, they left the two Americans to do a podcast the day before Thanksgiving. I don't know what Patty and James are up to, perhaps to eat advantage of that new survey that said the uh, British accent is the sexiest in all the world. Having spent most of my time talking to people from Yorkshire, I have questions. What I don't have questions about is my drink. Um, I am recording in my living room tonight, and it's a little chilly. It's been very cold here today. going to warm up the weekend, but in the interim, I am having a hot toddy. Keeping it very simple, a little bit of hot water, a little bit of Japanese whiskey that I got as a gift last Christmas. I'm not the biggest fan of Japanese whiskey. I find it a little kind of like stodgy and peaty in a, in a way I don't find pleasant. But it does go well with a bit of... Uh, I mean, lemon juice and sugar, but I made a lemon sherbet out of it using the peels as well because I was in a punch-making mood. So I had some of that left over. And yeah, it, it gets the job done. I've already had a beer and a glass of mulled wine. I'm always trying to keep things warm and toasty. Joining me, I'm sure, in the equally cold Cape Cod, Justin Disorder. Justin, what are you drinking?
1: Hey, Jeff. Hope you're doing well. Happy Thanksgiving to you and uh, all of our American listeners and any of our British listeners that want to celebrate. It's a, it's a fun holiday, although this year it's obviously a little different with uh, hopefully everybody doing Thanksgiving via Zoom or via, you know, like you, some quarantining and hanging out. Um, I've got uh, a Massachusetts brewery in Waltham, Mass., a very interesting suburb of Boston. Mighty Squirrel Brewing Company's Mocha Stout. It's called the Velvet Moon Mocha Stout. Not too bad. Got uh, some chocolate, some cold brew coffee. And uh, I like it. It's from uh, coffee comes from the uh, Atomic Coffee Roasters out of Cambridge, Mass. It was a really nice little spot on Mass Ave. And if anybody's in Boston, it's while we're checking out.
0: This episode, we'll be checking out the first two games of the Tony Pulis era, more or less as advertised. Although... The baseball cap was not as advertised. We'll also preview the Stoke match and give a fond farewell to the greatest footballer of the 80s, or really any decade ever. But we will start with the Tony Pulis era. And I think we have to start with the hat, Justin. Look, I could could dig right in here and talk about what went wrong with Westwood getting the number one shirt back or the fact that Wednesday can't stop getting players sent off in games they really should be winning or the general, I think improved organization of the squad. But when you think about Tony Pulo's football, you think about the baseball cap Sheffield Wednesday did not come through for him.
1: No, the uh, cap and, and somebody had later pointed out on Twitter and shown, they had taken a badge from somewhere else and stamped it over a kind of generic Adidas cap and it mm. stitched it on. And And my big complaint was that the badge was far too big for the front of the cap on uh, the first game. I thought the cap he was wearing today was uh, uh, better for certain. But uh, as we've been discussing, I'm really hoping that uh, if we get anything out of the Pulisera side from not being relegated this year, it's that we get a far superior selection of hats uh, in the team store.
0: Well, seeing as we've got one point from six so far, I'm really going to need those fucking hats. (laughs) I don't know what else we're getting. Uh, so where do you want to start with the actual matches? Obviously, a uh, 1-0 loss to Preston and a 1-1 draw today against Swansea. Two road matches, eh, you know. I mean, the, the Preston game, I,
1: I was a little disappointed in Pulis's comments after. I, I did not think that was a great start to the era. Obviously, Windass. that was dumb. That was a red card. Uh, Every time I actually was uh, at my son's coaching my son's hockey game, I didn't get back till about thirty-five minutes in, so I didn't see it live until I saw the the replay of it. Like just just a stupid play uh, that probably did cost us the game. Um, you know, you can't go down can't go down a man that early and expect to come out of it with anything against a Preston team that played. I thought, that, they, thought, played, I thought they played
0: pretty well down to 10 men for you know really up until they conceded the goal and you know when you bring the 37 year old that hasn't been training with the team and wasn't even registered back in after a year sometimes he's not going to be super confident catching the ball he should really catch
1: yeah i i mean i've been pretty public about not thinking bringing westwood back in is the right move at this point uh, as much as i think he's a legit club legend um but you know, that, that, that was a tough play because there's a pretty good argument that it shows when he did start forward, he slipped mm. and you can see him lose his footing a little. And that's when he adjusted to the punch instead of the catch. But it was I a, great, it was a elite, great finish.
0: I mean, the technique oh, actually from there, yeah. You know
1: on a half volley or a side volley rather. It was was a beautiful finish. He didn't stand a chance on the shot, but you know, I still thought even before the slip, I thought he hesitated a little bit. And and again, it's a 37 year old who's had, Oh, what four or five meaningful games in, in two, three years. Uh, you know, he was back for a short stretch and, you know, again, this is some of my issues that he didn't look great when he first came back, um, under, uh, under bruce uh, you know i thought he was all right um but you know i mean that that's a game that but to, to get back to my original point i i was a little disappointed in pulis to say oh well the uh the sending off changed all our plans and ruined everything because i thought pulis was not very reactive uh during that game he used all three of our substitutions um but did not use the full allotment of five men that he could have. One of the substitutions was planned ahead. That was getting Luongo off at 60 minutes for Pelopesi. I didn't have an issue with that substitution as much as we'd rather see Mass out there, given that he's been out for a little while. But at that point in the game, you needed to make a change. You needed to be a little more aggressive. We were losing. We needed to start putting the ball forward and you've got – Izzy Brown on the bench. You've got Fizz on the bench. You've got guys who at least can bring the ball forward. And Pulis didn't make a change that would be offensive until I don't. When did Brown come in? Seventy something like that. Yeah. You know? So I was a little disappointed in Pulis that game, given that you know, again, it's his first game. The squad is frankly kind of crap, um, and you go down to ten men. 17 minutes in it's a tough thing to be overly critical about but i would have liked to have seen pulis be a little more reactive uh based on the game situation
0: yeah again there's only so much you can do when you're down to 10 men i guess but it did seem almost like they were content to lose one now instead of trying to push for an equalizer and risk losing three now which is not something i like to see but by the same token they don't really Yes, he could have brought on Izzy Brown earlier. He could have done a straight. He could have used Fizz as the planned substitution instead of Luongo. But there's not really that one player. And I think we saw this to an extent in the Swansea game that's really going to meaningfully change the complexion of how they're going to play. There's not a super sub. There's not a match winner. There's not anybody that can do what you know, Jordan Ayew did to them. Uh, today, you knew that one moment of brilliance. Yeah, Uh yeah,
1: Andrea.
0: Uh, Andre yeah, yeah. Um,
1: I mean, I, I, I'm still pretty high on Brown. I, I, think obviously his his track record of staying on the field uh, is a little bit spotty. And you know, somebody had pointed out um, on Twitter during the uh, during the Preston game, or at least after, when either I or somebody else was complaining about the lack of Brown, that you know we all call Brown this great creator. He had seven assists all of last season. You know, and, and that's, you know, I, I'm still very high on him. I think he's the guy that can be the engine to push things forward and to really get us moving in a positive direction towards the opponent's net. But, you know, I, I think you're probably right in the end. We don't have that player who, at least right now, that player who belongs at the next level. You know, Andre Ayu may not be, uh, certainly not a, a top six uh Premier League player, but he's he's just pure class. And and we, we didn't have that against Preston to turn the game around. Um and that's you know, that is what that is. You kind of over the course of a 46 game season, somebody does something stupid, gets sent off 17 minutes in on the road.
0: Uh sometimes it happens five times over a twelve game season.
1: <laughs> <laughs> then you're a Sheffield Wednesday, right?
0: Uh, <laughs> then you're
1: Sheffield Wednesday.
0: I thought the Swansea performance was better. Like they they seem to, I don't know if it's the extra couple of days or the game experience playing the way Pulis wanted. It, it was very organized. They showed a little bit more on attack at times. It's still kind of again, is it the attacking talent or is it the style of play? Uh there's certainly some of the classic long ball, and I thought Patterson was okay actually in the air winning balls today, but There just wasn't quite enough, you know, a nice training ground corner that actually came off for a, for a goal. They could have had one earlier with a ball that fell to Julian Borner. They just couldn't put either side of the keeper. And I, weirdly enough, I was, I wouldn't say I'm feeling confident that they weren't going to concede, but, you know, going into the second half and really for the first 10 minutes of the second half, I thought, Oh, this is going to be a, rather boring, stodgy, but successful Pulis 1-0 on the road against a team with promotion aspirations, a team that was in the playoffs last year, and you take it and you bag the three points and go on. That's fine. That's like they're going to have to win a bunch of games like that. And then Andrea, you just completely pantsed Jos Van Aken. And Wednesday never really looked like... I mean, at the next 10 minutes... They looked like they were kind of falling back into the, the Gary Monk track, where they just lost their heads and panicked and invited Swansea in a little too much. But I think after those ten minutes, they they settled down, they reorganized, and swan, until the sort of the madcap scramble at the whistle <laughs> yeah. didn't didn't really look like conceding. But the flip side of it is they didn't really look like. Scoring either.
1: Well, that's that's where some of the talent comes in, right? And, and that's yeah, like, the ability... Kachunga
0: came on at 55 minutes, and like, I barely remember him impacting the game at all for the last 45 or so.
1: Yeah, well, so this was the thing that I, I think this game was a better judge. Like, I feel far more confident coming out of this game about the Tony Pulis era than I did before this game. So maybe as much so as a little critical about his comments that. Uh, you know, the sending off ruined his grand plans. Uh, at the same time, I, I think we got to see, I got to see a couple different things out of this team that were clearly from the head and loud, loud mouth of Tony Pulis that uh, were really positive uh, today. So, one, one thing that I, I noticed that sort of threw me at first, but, you know, we, we kind of figured, you know, Tony Pulis, 442, you see the lineup out there. Um he was having he had a back five. He really played without the ball defensively. We were playing in a five, four one with uh, Adebajo way out on the left uh, as part of that back five. Um, and And that was really solid. and they were there was a lot of interchange where Luongo would step back uh, in front of that back five to add a little bit, and Tom Lee's, because there were five back there. Tom Lee's did a wonderful job of stepping up defensively to, to get in between the lines and pick up their, you know, either their uh, attacking midfielder or whoever was in between the lines during the first half. And we completely shut them down. I mean, that they offered absolutely nothing in the first half, other than that uh, weird cross that, you know, injured our 37 year old, not match fit goaltender. Um, and and then going forward, we were basically playing what I was sort of looking at as a 3-4-3, three, three, but um, there's a great Wednesday follow it, online. Uh, Coach Seve, uh, S-E-V-E, uh, Seve Hurst, uh, who uh, I had connected with when he lived in Boston, uh, pointed out he was calling it a 3-4-2-1, you know, whatever variation you want to call it. But the idea was you had your three center backs uh, out there, you had... A really nice combination of either Reach or Adobaggio pushing up on the left and then uh, Patterson or uh, Liam Palmer pushing up on the right to support the striker. And that was giving us some width. We were able to cross the ball into the middle. Um, I thought that was very effective. And then by creating that width, there was space in the middle for... Bannon and for Luongo and Patterson coming inside, or Reach coming inside, all of them to do some really nice short passes. And this was sort of the thing to me where I said, My God, Pulis, I expected every time Burner got the ball to lump it up to Rhodes or Patterson. And instead, they were really making some nice short passes through the middle. Um, I feel like they were calm on the ball for the most part, they knew where the open passes were. That first half to me was, was fabulous. I, I thought we played Swansea off the pitch. We shut down everything they tried to do. We moved the ball effectively. Um, like you pointed out, that was a great taught on the training pitch goal um, on the corner. And and what's funny is as an American, and, and you may have the same thing, Jeff, um, I'm sure some of our American listeners do, given that we weren't brought up on football as our lone sport where that's what you start watching at age three and you don't watch anything else I still work on how I watch the game and telling myself how to look at a game Um, and one of the things that I always try to focus on is don't look at the ball right look at the rest of the scene so on that particular corner kick I happen to say to myself don't look at it who cares Boz is probably going to fuck it up (laughs) anyway. No, when he he kicked
0: it, I'm like, oh, it's another one one that's not going to beat the first.
1: Right, (laughs) right. Well, I happen to be looking at the lump off the back post, watching everybody get set up. And I didn't see the pick. I still haven't, you know, I didn't catch on the replay who threw it. But I saw Reach come free and start looping around and said, oh, my God, that's, he's coming real free. So I wasn't that shocked when he got that opportunity. But I was clearly a well-designed play. Um, So I, I thought what I saw from Pulis in the first half and the way they were setting up was uh, not, you know, the Tony Pulis that's been advertised. It was him working with what we've got and providing a team that was organized, compact and able to move the ball up the field quickly. That was, was one of the best first halves we played all year.
0: And then Wednesday, as they are so wont to do, I had to play the second half and, Things uh things changed.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you mentioned him earlier. I mean, Andre Ayu, we talked about him in the preview last week. He's he's a legit talent, you know. He's a he's an international, gone an international. Um, and he does things like that. You know, he you're absolutely right. He he juke the pants off of uh, Van Aken and uh you know deserved that finish. It, he showed his class. He was he's better than everybody on our team <laughs>
0: right and again that and is like the ultimate that is like the ultimate problem here cuz yes it was a good performance and if they continue to turn these in they're they're going to win probably enough games 1-0 to stay up but it really is you know they've taken one from six Coventry won today beat cardiff is now four clear of them for safety, mm-hmm. like, yeah, whatever. It's 13 games into the season, there's a lot of football left to be played. But at some point, they're gonna have to go on a run where they win like seven points from four deal times.
1: Yeah, I, so really, I think they will. I think they will. It's, this, is, this is a tough stretch, though. I mean, it, Swansea's legit, Swansea's fourth in this division. Swansea was in the playoffs last year. Swansea has a lot of attacking talent. And we saw it in the second half when Steve Cooper made those substitutions and changed that game up. Um, they've got the players that can make a difference. We don't really have them right now. And we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit. And, uh, you know, Stoke is a team that's going to provide some problems <laughs> this weekend. Um, they have a lot of attacking talent. Um, th- there are some good teams in this league, but, I, I feel like we're in a bit of a tough stretch schedule wise. And and I think once Pulis has had a little bit of time to really work with this team on the training ground and continue to, you know, modify things and get people in the right spots and feeling comfortable. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of those one, nothing wins. And I'm, you know, and that's the deal, right? That's the bargain you select with, with a peerless team, you, you take that one, nothing win. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know that we have the guys who can really finish it off right now.
0: All right. Before we move on, uh, wh- where exactly was the foul on the last uh, kick of the game? There? Uh, I, I <laughs> w- saw, which of the so... seven fouls did he call?
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that, that you know, that's one of those things. That's, that's you to
0: swallow. I you swallow saw, your uh, whistle until you have to. Yeah.
1: Unless it's blatant, right? I mean, I know Swansea fans. I, I saw pictures they were posting. There's a high kick. That's a that's a handball. That's mm-hmm. this and that. Um, you know, it's
0: I it's a scrum in the 95th yeah.
1: minute. You know, it's not. It's, it's not good. I will say it was
0: a good. It was a good overhead kick to score it though. <laughs> yes,
1: <laughs> yes, it was. Um, one one more thought on on the game that I again I, I do want to give. Um, A couple people some credit when when pulis made those substitutions um and brought uh what did he bring in he brought shaw in he brought pelopesi in Mm -hmm. um and and again this is i'm gonna give tony pulis some some credit where i really thought he didn't do a good job on the weekend against preston not only did he make those two switches Swan, uh, yeah, Swansea had been getting a lot of pressure just in front of our back line. Even with the back five, that's where they were. Guys like IU um, were, were finding that space in between the R4 and R5. And when he made that substitution, he went to a back four. Um, I probably wouldn't have caught it except the camera was on Pulis holding up four fingers and yelling onto the field, four, four as the substitute was being made. So once you saw that, what they actually did was they moved to a back four. They put Shaw and Pelopesi as sort of two holding midfielders in the midfield with, with Bannon in the middle. And they moved Kachunga back, which I think is part of the reason we never saw him. He became part of that midfield five out on the side and they put Patterson up front. Um, and I thought that actually was part of what limited uh, aside from when you pointed out that 10 to 15 minutes of, holy shit, the wheels are coming off. Um, I thought Pulis again made a tactical change that was, you know, proactive and effective. And and I do want to give him some credit, especially given that I'm somebody who both publicly and privately was kind of against this um, signing of Pulis. So I was, I was glad to see it. Um, I will also say too, once in a while, every once in a while, I'm very glad for Hillsborough. It's it's a beautiful old stadium and it's got a lot of soul. Um but boy, that pitch was shit today. You could see it coming up in pieces over the course of the second half. And that uh you know that didn't did not make for pretty football. Watching the uh South South Wales uh weather come in.
0: <sighs> all right take a break we come back we'll preview a game of a team also famed for their gloriously great weather as we talk about good old stoke on trent <laughs> You're seeing double four crusties as Wednesday takes on Stoke. Because <laughs> man, Justin, there are a lot of Wednesday players on this team.
1: Oh, I love it! Uh, you know, we know we know Morgan Fox and and Stephen Fletcher went there.
0: How the hell uh, are Stephen Fletcher and John Obi Mikel the same age? Oh, how is John Obi Mikel not forty? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's I. When researching this team, that was the one. I was a little surprised. Um, I forgot they had Danny Um, uh, You know, there were a couple guys. Uh, you know, I, I just made the joke every time I see poor James McLean, I always think of Stephen McLean and get confused and think he was a Wednesday player. But just going through that roster, and that was the one I looked. And I said, John O.B. McKell. And not only that, again, John O.B. McKell has played every single minute of the season for Stoke. And he didn't have a team. They picked him up not only for free; they just basically picked him up on a curb and threw him into their lineup. And he has been very effective in the middle of their uh, in the middle of their field. So,
0: well, good news for Wednesday is that Stokes ships goals. Bad news for Wednesday is they score goals.
1: They score a lot of goals. Um, I believe they are second in the league in goals. Um, and they score a lot of them from open play. They've got
0: uh, – <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that.
1: <laughs> oh, I know. My God. Uh, you know, and and they play, you know, kind of what you would expect given that they've got Stephen Fletcher, which makes sense. They, they really utilize Fletcher. They do a lot of long balls up to Fletcher and have him distribute the ball uh, off to the wings, and this is where they – really do some damage. They have a man named Tyrese Campbell, a 20 year old, uh, quite the stud. He has poured in six goals and five assists this year. He's one of the uh, hottest young players in the championship. Um, And he's not stopping. He uh, he scored last night in their uh, loss to Norwich. Uh, And on the other side, they've got Nick Powell, um, who's got three goals and playing a similar thing. So, You know, what we expect to see from Stoke is they like to go long up to Fletch, have him hold it out, put it out to the wings. Um, The wings will then often carry it forward and either attack directly or look to cross it back in. And, again, old friend Stephen Fletcher has four goals uh, on the season. He's playing very well. For our sake, um, you know, he he can tend to be a little bit uh, injury-prone but that's all right. Um, and, and they also will often utilize uh, short passes between their central midfielders, which is Mikel. Um, they've just got Sam Klukas back, and you know Sam Klukas is uh, a very quality player at this level, um, so they utilize some short passes between uh, their forward line and their central midfielders. One thing that's interesting about Stoke is they get almost no shots from outside of the box, Um, So they really look to get it in deep and get something off. Um, I think that that actually plays pretty well into our hands, given that they're going to be attacking a Tony Pula side, which we saw against Swansea today has no problem putting nine men in a low block and daring you to try to beat it. So, from an attacking perspective, it'll be interesting to see how well we can, you know, uh, lock up Fletch and, and keep him limited and also keep an eye on Tyrese Campbell. Um, when we have the ball, Stoke tends to be pretty passive. They, they really put 11 men behind the ball um, on their half of the field and they won't, they won't be aggressive through um, – up until the ball hits the halfway point. At that point, that will often trigger a bit of a press. They want to get the ball outside of one of their forwards, uh, pressure the ball, and one of their midfielders, like uh, James McClain, come up and provide some pressure. Uh, but overall, they really just sit back in a low block with everybody behind the ball and expect somebody to muck it up. So you know, I'm not really expecting and open, particularly open game out of them. I think the one advantage that Wednesday has when Wednesday has the ball is that uh, they're down to their third string keeper due to injuries. Um, They have a kid named uh, Yosef Bursic, who's 20. He was a under 23 keeper to start the year. And he's been thrown into the fire the last two games and shipped six goals. Um, so, you know, that doesn't really seem to be working for them. So, it does you know, require Wednesday though, to
0: get a shot on target, but yes,
1: well, we did that today and yeah. got a goal. So there's something for that, but yeah, I, I do think we're probably going to be looking at a game with two teams wanting to put 10 men behind the ball defensively in a low block and, you know, I think it's kind of going to come down to which team can counter a little better um, to make it happen. Uh, both teams are really high in the league and fouls. Like, it's, it's got all the hallmarks of that classic, uh, you know, cold, wet winter night in Stoke. Um, just could be a bit of a slog. Um, but uh, it would be, nice be nice to steal a point. You know, maybe even three.
0: They do have to start actually winning games at some point if they want to uh, stay in the league. So that would be a good time and place to start. I don't have any dispatches from any other soccer. So I'm watching a lot of the MLS playoffs because I'll watch any knockout football, apparently, no matter how bad. And it's been very, very bad. I can't. I
1: can't do it. The, also, the, my kid, first...
0: the, the kid hasn't been going to sleep, so I've been sitting down here with her for like the West Coast games. But man, like it's I watched, something to watch. It is something to watch. I watched all of that Dallas Portland shootout and all that Dallas Portland game. Jesus.
1: Was that the 15 round shootout recently? I did hear some talk. It was, about yeah, that.
0: it was like 8 7 or something. Yeah. Uh-oh. Yeah.
1: I can't. I can't do MLS. I think my first appearance on this podcast was as a. Uh, How did you become a Wednesday? I and I remember Evan asking me like, "Oh, you follow the Revolution?" I was, "No, no I can't stand Robert Kraft, and uh, I don't particularly care for the MLS." So, I, I know I'm missing out on you know the ability to have local local football and to be able to do it, but. The league, the league drives me nuts, and and I find too often the the quality of play is championship level or worse. Oh, it's and worse. The only reason, yeah, well, the only reason to subject yourself to that is if you give a shit about a team, and hmm. I don't give a shit about an MLS team. So,
0: I got to watch uh, Bruce Arena and Bob Bradley coach teams back to back. So that was that uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a scary. big hire
1: in New England. Everybody's excited hmm. about. Budus Arena, it's, it's it is, hey, they what it beat is. A, it's just
0: fine. They beat Supporters Shield winner Philadelphia Union, who did not look like, I guess it's a weird year, so whatever, but did not look like the number one seed. I say that, but I've, you know, obviously Red Bulls has won the Supporters Shield and immediately gone out in the playoffs. So yes. I'm sure Patty is well aware. I know he's not on the show for me to troll him about it.
1: If he's not, right, let's remind yeah. him of it. Yeah. Red Bulls sucks. Sorry, Patty.
0: I do have some many other business though, or I guess other business. Uh, we have to talk about Diego Maradona, who died today. So I, I was thinking about this because I started playing soccer around like suburban Connecticut when I was like six or seven, broadly speaking. And even in sort of my youth, while I would have no reason to know who Diego Maradona was really obviously, you know, the most famous soccer player of the eighties, World Cup winner. But, you know, the 86 World Cup, the 90 World Cup even weren't really big deals in the US. It wasn't until the till the 94 World Cup here. But I knew who Diego Maradona was. I knew he was the best soccer player in the world. To me, Diego Maradona was soccer when I was seven years old as a suburban kid in Connecticut. And it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's something. He was, there will never be another player like him, both in the sense that we don't have number 10s like that anymore, uh, just from sort of the, in the modern tactical game. But just if you look at some of the footage, it is like watching uh, sort of prime Lionel Messi. If every team was allowed to kick the shit out of Lionel Messi and not get called for fouls, and it didn't matter. He just would keep going forward. The combination Uh, of just like strength and, and yeah, he was faster than everybody else, and he was probably a little more athletic than everybody else in the era. But I honestly think if you put him in the modern game with modern training and modern medical staff, and if you could keep his cocaine use to merely recreational, he would still have been (laughs) the greatest player in the world.
1: Yeah, it's it. And Jeff, you're you and I are both baseball guys, so we understand the challenges of comparing eras. And 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 the only way that you really can is to say, you know, how good was somebody in his era? And Diego Maradona was the best player of his era. And, and I had the very similar thing as you. You know, I grew up playing youth soccer, and you know, didn't really watch much, and it wasn't you know something, but. I definitely knew who Diego Maradona was. You know, I was nine years old during the 86 World Cup. And, you know, I, I'm not – I certainly didn't watch any of it, but I knew what was going on, you know. And, and when you do go back and you look at the highlights and you see the combination of speed and and power and touch and his ability to – I mean, he really – Messi, from everything I've seen, Lionel Messi is the most comparable player in terms of that mazy dribble, that explosive speed, the ability to see the field. There's some great highlights, if you find on YouTube, of like Diego Maradona, 86 World Cup highlights. And fucking 70% of those highlights are him juking three guys putting a ball onto somebody's foot. And, and him teammate, missing the like,
0: net by like 30 feet. <laughs> <laughs> blowing
1: it into Rosie. It's, it is so shocking how bad some of his teammates were. It's like he's playing with a bunch of children. And, you know, he has, you know, the poor guy, if, if you want to look at that, had obviously massive substance abuse issues, probably combined with some mental health issues that, whether they were natural or came about because of the substance abuse or the pressure that he was under. Um, But if you look at his career, like what he did at Napoli. I mean, Napoli was borderline going to relegation in Syria. And within three years, they went a double,
0: Um, you know, uh, everywhere that he went. I saw this on Twitter today. It was posted by uh, at Stevie Bundy. It's a uh, banner hanging at a cemetery in Naples in 1987 after uh, they won the Scudetto. And it just says, Annons- che so perso, which translates as you don't know what you missed. <laughs> oh, that's uh, in, front of, in front of a cemetery. Yeah. Um, the other one, of course, from today, like just very simply is a, uh, uh I can find it, but uh, yeah, uh, Lequipe, the soccer magazine in France just had a picture of Maradona with the headline, God is dead.
1: Uh, the, the, there was a photo of, uh, you know, probably a guy in his late fifties kneeling in front of a, a fence with a Maradona shrine on it outside of uh, a blanket on the name Napoli's famous stadium, you know, Sabi. You know, this was he he was he was above this game, you know, he he was one of those true, true legends. They've been playing, they've been playing organized football for what, 160, 170 years. And and this guy is pretty much unanimously accepted as one of the at worst, five best people to ever put a ball on his foot. And and you know what? It, 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 people should look for Rory Smith's piece in the New York times um, is beautiful. Roy Smith is a great writer. is the football writer for the New York times. And, you know, he really just did a nice job of balancing the fact that Diego Maradona is, as you just pointed out, Diego Maradona is a God. He's not a human being yet of all gods. He is the most, you know, human. He is so, Flawed, um, that that it allows us to touch him. It allows us to feel him. We can't relate to Leo Messi, right? He, uh, maybe due to shyness or whatever else, you know, he's separate. Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is speaking of current gods is separate because of you know the air with which he carries himself. But Diego Maradona was a human. Diego Maradona was flawed. Diego Maradona was constantly uh making mistakes and doing stupid stupid shit um yet he also did things that you know nobody nobody could do and in that you know 10 minute sequence in the the semi-final against england is everything you need to see he goes out and he fucking cheats (laughs) and he pretends he didn't cheat and then he turns around and displays a moment of absolute brilliance that um, you know very few people are able to do Um, and then again if you look to later Diego Maradona when frankly let's be honest who's I think we're probably all surprised he made it to 60 Um, but there was that great game I believe it was the last World Cup where Argentina scored late and they cut to his box as he's hugging a guy and then he turns and gives the double Freedom Rockets, uh, the double middle finger down of the field. And that was... Uh, oh, my God. That was too funny. You know? Too funny. You
0: know, he might not have been the most... He might not have been the best footballer ever. Although I think he certainly has a case. And as we said, it's very difficult to compare him to like... Garincha or George Best or Lionel Messi. But I can say it's certainly possible there'll be another Lionel Messi, there'll be another George Best, there'll be another Garincha. There's never going to be another Maradona.
1: <laughs> no, and, and Jeff, that's, that's exactly it. You know, you were talking about um, earlier the idea that you know, what would it be like in modern day? And, and the fact is there's no way that Right, growing yeah. Growing up. You know, he, he could not have had that those substance abuse issues and been successful because You know, Barcelona you know, so Barcelona
0: wrong. would have plunked him at 18 instead of twenty two and put him in the academy and whatever else. Yeah, it just would have been a completely different different track. He yeah, is really he would, uh you know, a man out of time in a lot of ways.
1: Um, but yeah, you know, it's again, I'm not I'm not gonna feel any. Uh, I'm not gonna feel any pity for the man. He he knew what he was doing to himself. You know, he ate too much. He drank too much. <laughs> he put too many drugs up his nose. I'm sure he slept with too many women. Um, you know, he lived his life to extremes. It's like I said. It's a little shocking. He left at sixty, but um, I think anybody that loves this game. You know, has to take a moment to appreciate the the legend that passed.
0: One more note we don't have any meetups per se for the Stoke game, but uh, Tom Housen and James Marriott of the Singing the Blues podcast and General Sheffield Wednesday Onlineness have uh, Suggested so that we all come together as, as Wednesday fans and Wednesdayites this Saturday, and since we can't have a normal match day and we really haven't for a while, and probably won't for the foreseeable future, to uh, you know get together, just have a chat on Saturday, whether it's a sync up for a Zoom to watch the game, which I'm sure we're uh, we'll uh, we'll try to do throughout all America. So you know, if you've been joining those recently. Uh, it might have to be me that actually organizes this. since Patty's in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. I just realized that as I'm saying this, um, but we'll try to get a, we're we'll zoom together, try to watch a little bit of, uh, the Stoke game and have a, have a day out as it were.
1: Well, I think it's a great thing. And I, and I think James and Dom do a really nice job. I, I think they're both very rational fans. Um, you know who who are able to to break the game down in a reasonable way, and I don't tend to listen to them as much, although I subscribe. Um, I just prefer to make my own opinions rather than hear other people's. But you know, I I think that's a great idea. I I think that this, as much as this Poulos appointment has divided all of us, uh, <laughs> it's also a chance to hit the reset button and get everybody back together and remember. Um, we are all in this mess together. You know? We are all Wednesday, aren't we? Um, so good for them. And, and I think we should all kind of follow their lead to try to make sure that we reach out this weekend to be in touch with other Wednesday fans and, and make sure we're all, we're all on board for that game against Stoke, which will be a drab nil-nil.
0: <laughs> One can only hope. This has been episode 115 of the Owls AmeriCast. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com and email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Also find and follow us on Twitter at owlsamericas. podcast is on all of those places that I usually list here, but I don't have the actual list in front of me. And wherever you choose to listen to the Owls America's, so yes, we ask you rate and review the podcast. It helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings.
1: Still looking for a sponsor.
0: Yeah, sure. Put that out there too. <laughs> Justin is on Twitter at New England Owls. Justin, you going to dig into some pre or post Turkey Europa League action tomorrow?
1: Um, I may. We. uh, I actually am a vegetarian
0: and have been for tofufirky
1: twenty seven years. No, quick side note uh, to everybody: Uh, don't ever try tofurky; it's awful. I tried it. It's it's just not good. Um, no, we're we're staying at home. Usually, it's the first time first time in 43 years that I haven't gone to uh, the house that my grandparents built and my aunt now owns. We're um, trying to limit our travels, um, so we're gonna have a nice uh, low key Thanksgiving here with just my wife and my kids. Um, nice modified menu. My wife is working hard. She enjoys cooking and is. Quite good at it, a trade she picked up from her father. Um, so I'm expecting a wonderful meal tomorrow, and uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm going to sneak in a little football because I uh, yeah. watch American football.
0: AC Milan against Celtic.
1: Really, tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. I'm there. Twelve
0: fifty-five. Beautiful. I think Beautiful. what else here Thanks, is interesting? Jeff. Yeah. Uh Arsenal against I don't want to, who wants to watch Arsenal. Yeah, I
1: don't want to sorry, nobody. Nobody. <laughs> uh
0: Rangers against Standard Liege. You want to keep it Scottish? Um I
1: Gore keep it Belgian.
0: Or keep it Belgian. Uh Real Sociedad is in action against a team whose name I can't I think it's Rejeka. I will say team. that um
1: I from what I've been following, uh Real Sociedad is fabulous this year. I was able to catch part of one of their games uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was really strange but cool to see uh, David Silva uh, running the show in, in those stripes. So
0: We should also mention, watching. of course, that uh, former Wednesday coach Carlos Carviel's Braga is in action against AEK Athens as well tomorrow. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro and I think as is tradition, I'll be watching the uh, dog show and then uh, we're doing takeout from the really good James Beard place down the street. So we went there two years ago, like for actual dinner. Uh, my mother-in-law and and my parents and and me and Jess. So they do a pretty good uh, Thanksgiving dinner. So I'm looking forward I actually cleaned off the dining room table for the first time in like six months. I've just sort of been <laughs> eating at the TV tray that I have the laptop on that I'm recording at currently. Uh but we will be back talk about the Stoke game next week.